The following episode of Fofop is rated MA. It contains alternating hosts, a rotating roster of guests, and mild coarse language. Fofop advises that it is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15, or anyone who came here looking for one of those highbrow NPR-type podcasts. Minors must be accompanied by a parent or guardian. This is John Deke speaking. Welcome to Fofop. Uh, how, this is exciting. Guest Charlie, Jen Kirkman is back on the show. Hello, Jen Kirkman. I'm waving. I know this isn't video. Hello, Will Anderson. <laughs> well, you're waving at me. We're in different countries and I appreciated the wave. And also, you know what? Like, you know, without wanting to make it about your appearance, seeing this as an audio medium, mm-hmm. you're wearing like a, a sleeveless top. So like, you know, you get the full arm in a wave, you know, like it it did feel like it was a bit of a statement. And this is a very <laughs> special day for you. You're making a big sacrifice, obviously, to come and talk to me on this day because yes. on the day of us recording it, it is America's Day. It is Independence Day as made famous, you know, in that movie, Independence Day. And That's right. you should be out setting off fireworks or, you know, being on somebody's shoulders at a pool party right now. I know. Well, it's funny. Um uh, you mentioned the sleeveless shirt. It is over a bathing suit top because I just got back from a pool party. Uh, but it wasn't really a party per se. It was my friend Sarah who uh, mm-hmm. is married, but her husband plays professional football. And and I mean the kind where you throw a ball, not the kicking. Um, and uh, so he plays in Canada and he left last week. So she's, you know lives on her own now for a few months and and he's sort of the party planner uh, of the couple so she's like should I have a July 4th thing and I was like I don't care about July 4th and she's like neither do I just come over and we invited our friend Chris and his wife Liz and they came over and she had a bag of chips on the counter like we are grown <laughs> grown adults she's in a beautiful home and she that's all she could do is throw a bag of chips and the party started at 11 a.m. because our friend's kid had to nap so I came over with a coffee and uh, I drank iced coffee in the hot sun I brought over some like potato salad sides that I bought at the grocery store and we had nothing at all that had anything to do with America and we just kind of sat in the pool during the day and I came home you know we're done by 3 p.m it was perfect so well, that that was my that, adult that sounds day like a sensible adult july 4 party home by three o'clock how, how many sets of fireworks did you manage to set off in that time no no fireworks we none of us like fireworks we, we wouldn't even know where to get them um the only thing american about it was i brought over some blueberries and strawberries blue and red and some whipped cream and no one wanted it so i ate it myself and I just got home. Uh, I mean, when I got home, I mean, I didn't just get home, but it just turned 5 p.m. So I figured it's a holiday. I made myself a margarita, which I'm enjoying. A holiday cocktail. A holiday cocktail. Yes. Um, the margarita, the official drink of America. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so nothing I'm doing has anything to do with the fourth at all. But I thought that was what was cute about it was I'm talking to an Australian. We're both England's rejects. We rejected ourselves. You guys were thrown out. Uh, it's nice. Yeah, it's true. Um, so it's July the 5th here. So, I mean, you know, things yeah, true. have moved on in this country. Yep. You know, it's a whole different day here. Um, what I would say about uh, July the 4th, though, is because I was in America for a few 4th of July. Oh, and sorry. Australia has 
<laughs> well, because we have our own very complicated relationship with what is for intents and purposes, our national day. Because yours is Independence Day. Like, we can't celebrate Independence Day because we're not fully independent yet. Yeah, right? you're under that Queen's thumb. I was in Australia during Australia Day, It and I was in, like, Queensland, like, you know, I was in Townsville. It was scary. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. No, 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 no. Well, it's still pretty popular up there. Like, I mean, there are parts of Australia where Australia Day is still a pretty popular and full-on event and mostly it's just like getting drunk and barbecues this seems to be the central theme generally when it comes to national days is yeah could we get drunk at a barbecue and i think to be honest yeah like maybe an element of dressing up as well could we dress up and could we get drunk at a barbecue really you could take the nationalism out of it well wait a minute wait a minute we don't dress up what do you mean by dress up you guys wear costumes you do dress up you put on like you might not have personally but like you put on like American flagged themed clothing. Oh, oh, sure, like, sure. Yeah. I thought you meant like, uh, you know, dressed up like some kind of colonial person, which oh, I'm sure right. somebody's doing. Reenactments. I mean, that would happen somewhere, surely. There must be some sort of colonial oh, reenactment. Yeah. But we don't do that. No. I mean, that would be poor form to like, you know, like get, dress up like a bunch of yoldy Englishmen and get on a boat and then come and dispossess <laughs> the, the natives of the country. It's just, but essentially, yeah. that's what Australia Day is in Australia. It's Invasion Day. It is a memorial of the day that the English came over and, you know, in a great irony in find, trying to find somewhere for their criminals, committed quite a criminal act of their own when they stole an entire country from its original owner. Yeah, to put their criminals in, who I'm sure yeah. you guys weren't even the same kind of criminal that the colonizers were. You were just debtors, right? That's all you guys had. Well, debt. Well, that was, my, yeah, it was literally mostly people who'd like stolen a loaf of bread or whatever. Yeah. And just like, yeah, you're a criminal. You're such a bad person. We're going to sell you to the other side of the world and dump you there. In this country, we stole from its native people. Hang on, mate. Who's the real criminal? Oh. Is it the little... In fact, nothing has changed. When I say it like this and I look at the problems we have in our current day society, yeah. we are still you know, locking up people for you know, smoking weed in the street while the corporate criminals never go to jail. So it's exactly the same thing. So good that the cycle just continues to repeat itself. Happy 4th of July. I'm raising my drink to that. I just in hopelessness, I guess. But, you know, and also it's our summertime here, right? And, and right now I know it's your winter time. So your Australia Day isn't... Uh, during the winter, is it? No, it kind of no, is. Ja- January 26th. No, it's January 26th. Oh, maybe I wasn't there on Australia Day. What the heck was I there for? It was in uh, it was in May or April or something. And it was oh, Anzac Day. Anzac Day. Were That's you here I for was Anzac there. Day? Yes, I was. That that was scary because it was more a little more military, a little more military. Yes. That's what it was. So Anzac Day. I'll give you a little um, brief history of Anzac. I walked Day by because, a bar uh, and I wasn't sure if I was going to make it to the corner. Without being, I don't know what, torn, like killed or something. It's a lot of aggression. Well, yeah. So Anzac Day is, so Australia Day, fair to say, open to have a debate about Australia Day. People, even those who are really big believers in the idea that we shouldn't change the date, mm-hmm. are open to the idea that there is discussion around the fact that we should change the date. We absolutely should, just for the record, in case anybody is unclear listening to this podcast, we absolutely should change the date of Australia Day. It is like like having you, I, I think I once described it as having your wedding to your new wife on the uh, anniversary date of your old wife's death 
oh, and your <laughs> new wife killed your old wife. So, <sighs> like, perfect. it's not a good day for a party, right? You're really spoiling the event for the kids. So, Anzac Day, um, this is a bit different, though, because it comes loaded with, like, military history. So, it's essentially a day of remembrance um, that oh, okay. commemorates all the Aussies and New Zealanders who served... And died in wars. So it's like our Memorial it, Day, I guess. Yes, or Veterans Day or something yeah. like that, right? And it's 25th of April every year. And it's actually a memorial to a thing called Gallipoli, which is the the strangest bit about it, because Gallipoli is this famous iconic Australian battle that we just lost terribly. We were sent to the wrong beach, like, you know, in Gallipoli by the British. Again, the British really always having Australia's interests at heart. Yeah. They sent these Australian troops to the wrong beach where they had to, like, run up a muddy hill against the Turks and just basically got massacred as, like, you know, cannon fodder on the beach by the Brits. So a generation of the youngest and brightest Australians got sent to this ridiculous war on behalf of the British and then just used as fodder. Anyway, we decided that's the day we're going to remember, you know. Uh, I guess it's better than remembering our greatest military achievements. Yeah, it's sort of like a, a lot of people. It's like <laughs> really remembering people that got the shaft. But it, yeah. but I felt it didn't – now, again, I – didn't know any of that and it didn't feel like a solemn it felt aggressive and I didn't know you know it's always like when you see other countries act like your own if you're from America you go oh they have that here too and part of you's relieved because you're like oh we're not the only people that get pretty riled up about military stuff but then you go this is scary but I don't know. Maybe yeah, I was misinterpreting I it. Think in a, I think, no, I, I don't think you were. I think in Australia, we get it all out on one day. Yeah. Like, I'm not that person. But what I notice is that that is the day where I think most of the rest of the year, people will have, you know, will be able to, like, a lot of my friends went and performed for the troops. Yeah. And I've always had mixed feelings about that because I understand the idea that like, you know, these people, like a lot of them are sort of young people from disadvantaged circumstances who've ended up in the military and they're in some war that they didn't start and they have no control over. And, you know, like the idea that they might be supported and entertained and those sort of things. There's there's some validity in that argument, but I also just felt uncomfortable about it when I was asked because despite those things, like you're in a war zone and it feels like a tacit, sort of support of, you know, the military and yeah. the war by being there and entertaining the troops. So I think you could say that to somebody 364 days of the year in Australia. But if you tried to mount that argument on Anzac Day, somebody would actually shoot you and just go, well, you're disrespecting the diggers. <laughs> yes, that's that's exactly, that's the best way to put it. It was because I noticed things went, I was in the same town the next day and I didn't feel the same energy. It's just well, shocking. You know, I've been asked to perform in war zones, not to brag. And I say no for no moral reason, except I'm shit scared, terrified. I was going to say shit face terrified. That's not a thing. Um, I don't need to go in a Black Hawk helicopter. Um, you know, I don't need to be in uh, a war zone unless I join the military. But I'm not going to die if I'm you know what I mean? I mean, I'm not going to die for comedy. I'm just not. Well, you know, my this is the probably the slight difference between the two of us. I'm fine with all that bit of it. I quite like the idea of like getting in a helicopter or like wearing a vest or being in some sort of military zone. Oh. I think those things 
would be quite an adventure. But the big thing I hear is that they edit your material. You know, you're not really allowed to swear and there's certain topics you can't talk about. And I'm just oh, like, yeah. no one tells me what to say, motherfucker. <laughs> well, exactly. And it's like, aren't you fighting for my freedom to they always say that as if anyone is actually thinking about comedians and their words when they're like getting shot at. Like, I'm doing this for free speech, you know. And I didn't mean to imply I was pro-war. I mean, of course, I'm very anti-war as well. But that's I have to be very honest. It was the same with COVID. I wasn't just sheltering in place because I care about others. I was fucking terrified of getting a deadly virus. But you know, it's it's true. I got asked to do a gig in China uh, a couple, before COVID a couple years ago. And my agent was like, you know, pretty, he was pretty excited about it. And I was like, no, he, you know, the flight would have been first class all the way. And everyone loves a great international, you know, first class flight. That's fun in, in and of itself. I mean, sometimes, but uh, otherwise the pay wasn't that good. And I had to write out every word of what I'd be saying. So the Chinese communist government could approve it. And if I said anything about the government or anything, they were like, someone will be at the show and you will be, you know, taken to somewhere to be booked. And I was like, it's just me alone, a woman in China. And if you tell a comedian, don't say this, like a child, I will accidentally blurt it out and go, they told me I couldn't say anything bad about that this is a communist country. And then, uh, boom, I'm in a jail. And my agent's like, well, I don't get paid enough to get you out of that. And that's it. So I wouldn't do it. And uh, I, I'm, I love the people of China and Chinese culture, but I, I can't do a gig where the government has to approve my words and I could go to jail <laughs> if they don't, if I screw up. Not worth it. Uh, it is interesting, isn't it? The idea yeah. of telling you that you can't do something because as a comedian, there it, it is still such an integral part I think of why you know, so many comedians regardless of what style of comedy they do why they got into comedy was this idea of saying something that they're not meant to say and I think this is where this current culture war in comedy you know we talk about that you know you're free speech warriors nobody's in the military you know kind of running into battle going I'm doing this for Louis CK but <laughs> there is <laughs> But I think that that is part of what we're talking about. The same thing that would compel you in China to say the government says I'm not allowed to say this is partly what these sort of, you know, free speech warriors are talking about, which is they want to be able to say the thing they're being told that they're not allowed to say. Yes, and and for me, you know, my example of me was coming from, and I think you understand this, a very childish place, like not even a free speech warrior place. If you can't tell me, you would just say, I need to push buttons. No, no, just I'm an idiot and I have a kid's brain and I'll go, I can't do that. Like not even defiant, like dumb, like stupid, a stupid kid, <laughs> you know, who puts their finger in a light socket. Uh, it is not even, you can't even analyze it and go, what did you think would happen? It's like, I wasn't thinking my brain just does the opposite. And so I really, that's why, because I'm a comedian, like some of these free speech warriors, I really love when they think they're fighting for something important. And I go, I'm one of you. I know what you're doing. You just want the freedom to poke at people because it's fun. And you're just a little shit. You're not actually saying anything that you feel needs to be said. You're just being a little dick. And you know why? How I know? Because I'm one too. But it is the the capacity to be a dick without facing any of the consequences of being a dick that, that really they are fighting for. Because... Right. Like, I don't want to hurt others, you know, so I that's where the temptation to be a dick sort of 
becomes less attractive. I go, well, at the expense of others. No, not really, you know, but uh, and certainly not at the expense of my ass getting thrown in a communist jail. I love how much I'm saying communist as, as though I even know what it means, really. Well, here's, I mean, it means something different in America than what it means in the rest of the world. A hundred percent. I know I sound weirdly right wing, but I'm, I'm really just trying to say, you know, it would be hard to get out. Yeah, they are communists. It's okay. It's fine. It's, yeah. I mean, really, if you're looking at the idea of like, you know, a literal definition of a country that exists under communism, China is a pretty good example. You're not exactly. It's it's not like you're calling Joe Biden a communist, which is often how that language is used in America. Right. I'm not calling Amsterdam, you know, a communist country. No, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Like I'm an or Australia a communist country, which is, you know, the sort of thing that would well they've got, you know, universal health care. They're clearly communists down in Right, Australia. exactly. On no. behalf of Australia, we are not. It'd be good sometimes if we were a little bit more, but we are not. So give me a report from America because Australia at the moment, after our great year of success uh, yeah. last year, uh, you know, by uh, shutting our borders completely and basically just locking people out of our country and that was our solution to COVID, worked quite well, to be honest, as a general rule. Um, yep. But it also meant that our country got a little lazy around the idea of vaccination. And when I say our country, mostly our leadership didn't order enough of the right vaccines, thought we could just roll them out slowly. But it was partly the people as well who decided, well, why would I go with this vaccine when I can wait for a better version of the vaccine? We don't oh. have COVID here anyway. So it's been a combination of both, mostly bad leadership, but a little bit, you know, uh, yeah. you know the Australians not demanding of our leaders that we had better leadership. So... Uh, mm. different scenario in America where you've been, where it was like a massive lockdown, COVID everywhere, but now huge rates of vaccination. So it's a mm. different place from when we last talked. Give me a little update on the US of A right now. Well, yeah. And, and last time we talked, so I live in California, Los Angeles. And last time you and I talked, California and Los Angeles was doing pretty well. We hadn't hit our craziness. And then in December, we became, no joke, the ground zero for the most cases and the most death and the most everything in the world. Not just California, Los Angeles, my little corner of the world. And I, it was scary. We were having 17,000 new cases a day. The ICU beds were full. So, I mean, even if you fell down and hit your head, you know, I live by myself. It's like, I would not be able to get a hospital bed or get treated. Um, we have certain laws that I, I'm assuming other places have as well, where, you know, uh, it's pollution laws. So crematoriums can't just be running willy nilly. There's only a certain amount of people you can cremate a day because of pollution. They had to lift that because of all the bodies. So it was literally like just body cremation in the air. And, and I'm not saying you could smell it or anything, but it, it was just knowing that was strange. And so it was kind of scary. Yeah, and I'm wearing a mask, not for COVID, just for <laughs> not getting little bits of grandpa up my nose, to be honest. <laughs> I don't want their soul to be stuck in my snots. That's not, they wanted, you know, it was bad. It was bad, 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 bad. I mean, literally people were dying because of other things. For no one that Will is still laughing right now, and I don't know what punchline I'm saying was that people were dying of other things. He's like cracking Sorry. up. I'm just, no, it just is. I think I just have never thought about the idea that there was like cremation laws, like that there was only a certain amount of people that you were allowed to cremate a day. And right? That one of the unexpected consequences of COVID would be that they're going, we're just going to have to get rid of that. 
uh, ordinarily, we don't yeah. let you burn too many people because um, we don't want, you know, floating bits of dead people floating around the air. And there's a certain limit to that. But during COVID, all bets are off. Yeah, I'm they've, sorry. Got, they've got masks you bring on them, anyway. We'll burn them. You bring them in. <laughs> Oh, my God. And by the way, I mean, there were bodies like in freezers. I mean, it was terrible. So I was like, I can't believe I'm in the epicenter of it all. I was hopeless. I mean, I thought it doesn't even matter. I mean, Joe Biden had already won. I knew once he took office and, and once the vaccine, you know, at that point, the vaccine was already out and it was being distributed to healthcare workers only. So I knew there was light at the end of the tunnel, but I just thought we got another year of this. I mean, this is insane. And I don't know what happened, but in four months time, by April of this year, L.A. was the best in the world. We had the most people vaccinated in the lowest cases, and, and we're still kind of there. Um, so it's hard for me to speak for the rest of America because I'm only in, like, the best place you can be right now. But uh, we are fully open. Um, I'm, you know, I still throw on a mask in some situations, like going to the grocery store, going inside. Um, you know, of course, we have a big part of the pot. We don't have enough people vaccinated, but I think it's like 60, 70 percent. But... We have, you know, where the left wing meets the right wing is in anti-vax stupid people. And so a lot of the wellness community, the yoga, the whatever, they have fallen for QAnon anti-vax stuff. So weirdly, um, you know, some of the people that aren't getting vaccinated in Los Angeles are liberal people, blah, blah, blah. So, um, you know, the Delta variant is here and... I think there's some people like me who have the Pfizer vaccine. It's it's a medical. I don't mean to say miracle because it's not a miracle. It's science. But but you know what I mean? It's like a breakthrough. It's a scientific miracle. Though. Scientific like, miracle. I mean, you, it, it's a breakthrough. It's one of those things that at the start of COVID, this, and yeah. this is one of the, the most outrageous things about it. If, at the start of this global pandemic, the, yeah. Yeah, the estimations would be it was going to be two years, three years before they could come up with a vaccine. Yeah. And even if they could come up with a vaccine, there was still some scientific discussion around the idea, maybe there won't be a vaccine to this. It won't be able to be developed. And then through, like you said, not miracle in the traditional sense, but yeah. in a, a scientific miracle, these incredibly intelligent people getting together and like developing research and all these sort of things. They came up with not one, but yeah. I think four or five different vaccines for this thing. It is... Yeah incredible right and and i've and, been having fun reading about it you know they've been working on this technology for you know over a decade they met the moment as people are saying uh and what i'm hearing is you know at first it was like will it even last six months and now i'm hearing that people's antibodies are doubling and doubling and doubling you might not ever need another covid one again like it's just fascinating to watch so i'm of the belief that these are even better than we think but they can't really tell us because we're too stupid and people will stop at just getting one shot. You know what I mean? But so the long and the short of it is I'm totally comfortable. Like I've believed the science all along. So pre-vaccine, I'm not going anywhere. I'm paranoid. I don't care. I don't even want to sit outside at a friend's house in a mask. It's not fun. I'm fine to just be a hermit. I'll see you guys after the vaccine. And the minute I was fully vaxxed, out and about where I'm allowed to be without a mask, indoor houses without friends. Now that restaurants are open, I'm doing that without a mask. You know, I just, I'm not afraid at all, which I'm pretty surprised by because I'm neurotic. And I thought I might be a little bit like not, not as in uh, not trusting the science, but just, you know, when you're neurotic, there's no explanation, like still feeling like, oh, but what if I get it? And I just don't feel that way. And I'm worried that I should 
because I have tons of friends who are vaccinated and they're still worried about the Delta variant and they're not immune compromised or anything. They're just they're like, what if? And my thing is, well, you could get a breakthrough case, but you'll probably just get a cold. So I think that's the point of the vaccine is like it won't kill you. And so but I mean, I still don't want a covid cold either because I think I think that would just still be scary, you know, until the yeah, day it's, until the day it's gone. You're like, what? How is this going to? hit me so so that's what it's like you know well in australia we don't have enough pfizer because our, our government decided not to order enough pfizer because it was more expensive than the other ones so we didn't order enough i pfizer. can't believe america was the smartest country of all i mean if you don't have pfizer i mean i didn't want to say it but this j and j vaccine that some people are getting i mean don't do it america one shot, not enough. There's um, there's one in Australia called AstraZeneca, which was the one, the big one they use in the UK. You might have seen it, the footage of the woman who invented that yeah. getting a standing ovation at Wimbledon and the other day. Now, in Australia... Is it not that great, though, right? Well, it's is great, it? except that there has been, like, about one in every five million people gets a blood clot, right? So... Like, mm. if you are susceptible to blood clots, and, like, yeah. there has been one death in Australia, you know, I think, due to yeah. blood clots. But it is available, and it is highly effective, and the risks of it are incredibly small. But because there is some risk, as opposed to yeah. the other ones, it then becomes, like, it is a massive risk. I went and talked to my doctor about it the other day, because Pfizer just isn't available for months, and I just prefer to be vaccinated, and I am completely low risk so i go to talk to my gp and i say to him i say like Mm -hmm. just be realistic with me i I don't need a sales pitch one way or the other what is the risk of me getting this astrazeneca you know vaccine and he goes well did you drive here today and i said yes and he goes well about a thousand times less than you would have died on the way driving here today and i'm like okay well that yeah that seems fair (laughs) Did you get it? Have you gotten it yet? Uh, in fact, my phone just rang while we're talking, which I think probably was the clinic, you know, trying to tell me what the what my appointment is. So I put my name down <gasps> on the list for appointment this week. So, so hopefully. Oh, congratulations! And is that a one shot or a two shotter? No, it's a two shot, but it's not like a two shot in the way that uh, Pfizer is. So Pfizer's like a, I think a two two shot, like three weeks later or six weeks later or something. Isn't three it? weeks like, later. Yeah. So AstraZeneca is 12 weeks later when you have the second shot. But um but it doesn't That's a long I wait. mean other than that it's not really particularly different. Uh, apparently there's more chance of you feeling a bit shit the day after with AstraZeneca um, yeah. the first time but almost no chance the second time. So Oh, that's is, cool. Oh, but 12 yeah. weeks seems long. But you know Ugh, I mean, the same thing, blood clots, we, we are so susceptible to blood clots on a daily basis. We never think about it. You know, just getting on a plane, you know, people should, everyone should be thinking about that. Like, wear your circulation socks and, you know, women on birth control can, can get blood clots. People who smoke, I mean, blood clots are pretty, um, I don't mean they're pretty common, but they're, they're, they're the one in five million, like, you have more of a chance of getting a blood clot. I think in general, without it. Oh yeah, There's, I get m- more of a chance of getting a blood clot doing almost anything else that I've ever done rather than getting this. Yeah, vaccine. so I don't <laughs> think people understand that. Like, we're, was, we're ticking yeah, time bombs. Pretty sure there was a weekend for the LA Podcast Festival where I flew to America on a Friday and flew back on a Monday just so I could be back for work. That was much more high risk in terms of blood clots than getting this vaccine. God, that COVID. is so true. Like, yeah, the, th- the fact that I too once flew. To Australia and back 
in a four day period once like why do I think that's normal you know and right. and you know like yeah like drinking on the plane like come on I mean it, we've done we've all done worse things but we just don't think we I we we are we are all ticking time bombs in and then we all get real precious about like well what's the vaccine gonna do to me it's like it's a miracle every day there I go with that word again that you wake up with all the things that could just go wrong in the human body for no reason like I can't even believe everyone as many people are alive as they are right now yeah I mean I think my doctor was also giving a little bit of that implication when he was talking to me of like, dude, there's some other things we need to address if you're that worried about your health. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Ugh. So now what? Now what? So I don't know. I mean, like, listen, America's still America. We've got a bunch of people for all different reasons who don't believe in the vaccine. And there's more people in LA wearing masks in a weird way now than were before outside just walking by themselves and I'm like no what's up with that person so I'm worried that some of the people I'm seeing are afraid of catching the vaccine have you heard of these people yeah but if if it means they put on the mask anyway isn't it I mean it's almost the res- the the opposite of what it was yeah because now people are wearing a mask to stop yeah catching the vaccine which is by the way some of the best logic of all time like, there is part <sighs> of it that thinks you could really clean up in that community. I mean, it is a community filled with susceptible. I know. Well, how would you clean like, up I mean, the? What would is, you sell them? Like, there's not. You've got to be the. You've got to be the comedian of the wellness community. You've got to be the QAnon comedian. You should be. You should change your name to Jen Quirkman <laughs> with a Q, and you should start. Like doing full on uh, like Q or not. You do little J drops. But here's the thing. Kinda, here's the thing. <laughs> well, a, you know. You rename your podcast to J Drop and you just start putting in a whole lot of like wellness conspiracies. What you don't want to catch is the vaccine. You know, the good news about that, if I do choose to do that, uh, it's not off the table, is that like a lot of stuff like that, you don't even have to be funny, you know? And that's always a relief for a comedian like you know, to, 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 to know that you can just sort of riff on your, like, you know, you don't want to catch the vaccine. And I don't know if you guys have heard about this, but you know, whatever you're doing, uh, it doesn't have to be funny. They don't need the, they're not looking for comedy. They're looking, you know, for answers. And so since they're already susceptible to believing the conspiracy, it's not even the old adage of tell them the truth, but make it funny so they don't kill you. You know, it's like, they, I'm not giving them the truth. Doesn't need to be funny, and so I don't have to work as hard. And this is very appealing to me, except it probably hurt my soul to do it. But again, like people need to make a living, so it's it's on the table. It's on the table. Well, I'm just saying it is a clear career mm-hmm. option. Like you look at, there's a lot of the Alex Joneses of the world who are failed. Yeah. Stand-up comedians, right? People who couldn't make it as proper stand-up comedians who identified a niche of society that wanted their own prejudices reinforced to them in an entertaining yeah. way. And I think clearly you don't want to be like a, a right-wing sort of Alex Jones, you know, cartoonish type no. character. But now that QAnon has infected the wellness world, which is a world that you already had some familiarity with, yeah. you know, you know, you you know the yoga terms. You'll be able to drop in a Pilates reference. You'll be able to like talk about, you know, things in the language of the people who already believe it. You could definitely become you know, the Joe Rogan of, you know, kind of like L.A. Well, well I mean, it's sort of like a funnier Gwyneth Paltrow, you know what I mean? Or less wealthy, yeah. like, yes. like I don't, 
you know, I can clean up. Like, I don't need to make as much money as she does. So, like, you know, half that, and I'll do like a more discount, like a poor man's Gwyneth. You know, not yeah. So, you know, um, as we do the, um, you know, sun salutation, uh, I just want to let you guys know that. Um, no, hang on, I can't think of it. Downward dog. Now, dogs can get COVID, and that is because. Um, <laughs> I don't know what my theory would be because I'm not sure if I believe COVID's real. No, I say dogs can get COVID, which proves that it's actually not that harmful to humans because, see, when dogs get COVID, they they don't know they have it. And so that's why they don't die from it. And so if we as humans could just sort of not accept it in our bodies, I mean, when the virus tries to come in our body, we we don't accept it. So if you do like a morning meditation where you picture a light shield around your energy force, um, it won't come in. And, and, and we're not dogs. You know, we have choice. We can choose to not get it. The dogs can't. So if you're saying you can get COVID, you're saying what? you're a dog. Are you dogs? No, we're not. <laughs> that's, that's what I'll do. I mean, I think you've certainly made a good run up to where you need to go you just have forgotten the most important bit which is monetizing it in some way at the end of that you've got to be selling some sort of product you've got to have like some mm. you know covid a covid resistant dog collar that you wear like for half an hour in the morning while you're doing the downward dog you put on your dog collar you imagine oh it's like an energy collar yeah it just a half an hour yeah. of it it heats up from your own body heat in your neck and it, it can last about 24 hours and the other thing too and because you're right i have to sell something i was just thinking that i was getting yeah. um paid views or just so many hits on youtube that the advertising but you're right i need to sell something but then, see, I need to hire people. I mean, people. I think merchandising as well. You need some... Well, I mean, eventually they're just going to come to you, right? Like Gwyneth Paltrow didn't, like, you know, put an ad on Craigslist and put together a team. Like, you come up with a few products first and then people come to you, you know. Okay. In fact, I say okay. a couple of disgruntled ex-Gwyneth Paltrow goop people. I think, <laughs> you know, you say to them, if you find out who's been kicked out yeah. of goop but knows all the goop <gasps> secrets, has all the sort of... And my know, company's called and then Cube. You get them down to Cube. Oh, cute. <laughs> this is great. Now, again, it's totally immoral. But again, I'll, what if I do good things with the money? Like people who do credit card commercials, but they donate it all to charity. You know what I mean? Oh, so George Clooney famously, uh, the brand Nespresso. Oh, yeah. Um, which is like a coffee brand, but Clooney took at least initially the whole bunch of the money that he made for flogging Nespresso and... Uh, Paid for cameras to monitor the border of some sort of warlord or oh, some okay. very George Clooney yeah, thing that he did with his money. But so those, I think this is those perfect. pods, though, are so bad so for the environment. Is, I was so disappointed in him on that level. Well, see, that's why he's evening it out with the warlord thing. And this is what you've got to be doing with your stuff. So you're making all the money through Cube. It's basically Goop, but you've just closed in the G and put yes. a little line down the bottom. Cube. It's perfect. Um, and so this is what I love is like, you can have a whole range of merchandise. You basically just look at whatever merchandise Gwyneth Paltrow is selling yeah. and you just put a little spin on it. That's all you've got And you know do. what? You just got to be oh, like, this is, I have a great idea. So cube is going to be spelled like this Q O dash O P. So it's almost like the word co-op. And I'm going to say you're all part owners of this business. Now, I don't know what that means. It's some bullshit, but they're going to pay me 50 bucks a month to be a subscriber to dot, dot, dot. But they're, instead of being called a subscriber, they're going to be called a co-owner. 
So there's going to be hundreds of thousands of co-owners, but really they're just paying me 50 bucks a month. And whether or just that month I send out one newsletter or give them a 20% discount on their candle, uh, they feel they have some sense of stock in the business or something. This is good. Yeah, no, that's good. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, buy-in. Buy-in, That's yeah. good. And like also, you know, if you're spelling it Q-O-O-P, it also sounds like a some sort of secret operation. I feel like that oh, yeah. you know, people buy into the conspiracy idea. Of Beautiful. It, right? So down at Cube. But what you're doing is you're taking all the money that you're making at Cube, at, you know, at the, at, with your, yeah, this candle smells like Hillary Clinton's vagina yep. or whatever. Um, and I don't know. She got the vaccine. I don't, I don't think she can be someone we look up to. Okay, yeah, well, yeah. Who, do, who would be a current uh, figure in the movement that you could – um, I, I'm just going to say, like well, I'm, I'll just say it smells like any vagina that hasn't been vaccinated. It's a very natural, yeah. you know, okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. It, it's, it's this, uh, this candle smells like an unvaccinated yeah. vagina and you take the money that you're making from your, you know, $15 candles that you're flogging for $115, but you're taking that $100, maybe like a little bit of an admin fee off the top yeah, of yourself, yeah. you know, to, to make this go, but then the rest of it is going to like support very progressive causes like teaching kids science in school. So you're using idiots yeah. money to make people smart. Okay, but here's the thing. We started this with I would like to make some money. And now I'm like giving it all away. So maybe okay. we say a portion all of right. the proceeds 50, 50. 50, no, no. 50. <laughs> a portion of the proceeds 5% goes to stuff. Cuz again, that's still going to be a lot. That's still going to be a lot. <laughs> A portion of the proceeds. Right. I'm not 50, 50. I mean, I got to live because this is aspirational too. You know, I, I can't be living in some dump. I'm going to get a nice place. That is you know, true. I'm going to, my place will also be like a headquarters of, no, please, 5%. That's enough for those kids at the, listen, I can't save the world. You know, it's not my fault. I'm just, I go, oh, I'm just kidding. I'm a comedian at the, at the end of it all when no one's vaccinated and everyone dies. I mean, you've got to start spelling comedian with a Q as mm-hmm. well. That would be a great way to do it. Like, really just full on. I'm not a comedian anymore. I'm a comedian. <laughs> and it's all about... <laughs> all about... <laughs> I want to do that now. Like, and just say it stands for... Because I'm quipping all the time. I, lo- I love to do quips. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but then I slowly transition it into... QAnon comedian. I mean, by the way, this is probably already being done as we speak. And someone's like, yeah, I already have my favorite QAnon comedian. Think of something else. Oh, well, I understand that. But I just think that in this, like, particularly the the female-focused wellness, mm-hmm. like, zone, it feels like an opportunity. No, I... It just feels like, you know, like a proper opportunity for some sort of shyster. Because it's already filled with shysters. The reason that... Like these, you know, incredible conspiracies exist in that community is because like, why would you get a vaccine when like someone's selling like, you know, $25 avocado paste that you have to <laughs> you know, smear on your body every day to cure COVID, yeah. right? It is all just an absolute con. If you follow the money, of course, the reason that people are saying, you know, modern medicine doesn't work and it's all these sort of things is because they're trying to sell you some, you know, homemade, you know, cure of their own out of the back of their car or some, you know, program that you've got to sign up to. So you might as well take advantage of it. Like you're saying it's happening anyway. So it's not like I'm creating new idiots. I'm just capitalizing on the ones that are there. No, you're just taking advantage. In fact, 
I would suggest that you're taking some of that money out of idiots' pockets that they would have given to terrible people and you're actually, you're kind of Robin Hood style, getting in front of the money, mm. getting it into your pocket, you know, taking 95% of yourself. <laughs> but, but like you're saying, because... 5% on the good Because causes. I'm not a terrible person, it's just better that I Yet. store that money and buy things. <laughs> now, I like the way you think, and I, I don't know how busy you are or aren't, um, especially now where you have 12 weeks to wait for your second shot. Like, I would love to get you on board as some kind of consultant because I, I like the way you think, and, and I couldn't have started this without you. So I hope you don't just, like, after this call, just kind of forget about it. Like, I, I want you on the team. We, we definitely need an Australian. Oh, no, I'm a consultant, yeah. but I spell, I spell consultant you, with a Q you as You bet well. your ass so you that's- do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Quill Anderson is your name. Oh, I mean, that's it's so cool. good, and you write with a big feather quill. Yeah, I just start writing <laughs> with a giant feathered quill, and I go, "That's the reason that I'm Quill Anderson." <laughs> but the whole time, it's like a secret shout out to my new Q followers. See, this is great. Again, you've reminded me we can't be so blatant with it. That's great. Fantastic. Oh, this is. Well, this is always the thing about Q is like it's meant to be about like secret, you know, signs or whatever. Like that was always the thing they would read into Trump. They'd be like the number 16 is important and there'd be like 16 flags in the room. Or yeah. and they'd be like, see, it's a sign. There's like 16 flags and 16 is important. We've got to do more of that stuff. So you've yeah. got to like, you know, for example, it might just be. You start posting, like, you know, today I was in quite a long queue for something. Like, you know, you're like, it's you at a billiards table with like a, like a billiards queue. Totally. Like, you don't want to be actually... Yeah, but everyone's like, why is Jen you know, using the make- word queue? In America, we say line. I said, well, she's so pretentious. You know, she's been to Australia a bunch. <laughs> so she thinks she's... Also, you know, I just... There's always a good cover for it. Um, This is... Now, you're not going to release this, right? Like, we all have to record over and just talk about it. Because I don't think people should know about this. Well, but here's the thing. Uh, If Scientology has proved anything, it doesn't matter if people know where it's come from. They're still willing to sign up. That, yes. L. Ron Hubbard literally came out and said, I'm going to invent a new religion. Here it is. I'm a science fiction writer. I've just come up with this absolutely bizarre new religion. And now people believe that religion as if it is a true thing, despite the fact that we can look back 50 years and see the guy who came up with it say, I'm going to make some shit. Like it doesn't actually stop people. If you get the infrastructure right, if you hook people in enough in the right way, it does not matter that people can come back and listen to this podcast. In fact, they'll admire it more because Babe Ruth style, we came out, pointed at the the crowd and said, this is what we're going to do. Well, you know, I was listening to a podcast actually about Scientology and all kinds of cults. And I've always, I mean, I know the term cognitive dissonance, but they really spelled it out where it's like in something like a Scientology. It doesn't matter if Elrond came back himself and said to them, no, literally, I just did this to fleece everyone. They double down even more. No, and they won't even believe the leader themselves. You know, when the leader says, no, I this is what it is, you know, uh, and that's why anyone that starts any kind of cult, like at some point, the cult does overtake them. You know, it's like Trump's people will turn against him if he ever came forth and said this is all bullshit or whatever you know and so uh you're right in that sense once they've bought into this whole thing they don't care that we started it as a joke um and as a way to just get me more money apparently uh they they'll just not believe it or they'll be like those are deep fakes pretending to be a podcast 
and the deep state of Australia yeah. and America made them do it. Yeah. We just need to go, yeah, absolutely on the offensive. Never said it. Don't know what you're talking about. Podcast. Oh, yeah. Happens. Just make them you go insane. Yeah. Just Gaslight it. Yeah. Gas doesn't exist. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, I love it. I'm gonna sell a gas lighter. It's a cute little lighter. This oh, is great. Beautiful. Yeah. Everybody <laughs> carries one around, a little gas lighter, regardless of whether you smoke or not. Although we make smoking part of it, apparently, because we, we tell people that smoking is is fine again for some reason. Do you do you know that that's actually what they say in Scientology? Did you know that? No. A ton of Scientologists are smokers and they're told that because you can cure yourself of lung cancer, it doesn't matter. They all like, I don't know if many of them still do, but they were like all smokers. It's like a huge thing in Scientology. Um, it's crazy. I swear to God, I'm not making it up. Like, it's amazing. I almost wish I could join a cult that brainwashed me into thinking smoking is good for me. Because as you know, we've talked about last time, I miss smoking. You don't, you don't need to join a cult. You, you've just, you're now leader of that cult. We've just started that cult. And everyone's going to have their little yeah, gaslighter. Okay. Has anyone got a gaslighter? Because I need to light this cigarette <laughs> that I can cure myself of cancer. Because that's the other thing about these, particularly QAnon, like it's a open uh, conspiracy cult. That's what I like about QAnon. That's the real secret to QAnon. Like in the past, everybody's had their Is that own- there is no secret? Yeah, well, because I think that yeah. because in the past it was always like, oh, you know, nine eleven was you know planned by these sort of people, or like I believe that you know that people are shape shifting aliens, or you know there was a range of conspiracies, yeah. and then QAnon came along and said, hey, you know what? You want to go to a cult where everybody knows your name? We don't care. We're not going to judge you when you come through. <laughs> QAnon is the cheers of cults. It's just like, get a norm, get a cliff. Let's all sit at the bar together. You can discuss whatever weird thing you want to believe. We now have like a 10. In it's which all valid. It's all yeah. Fine, right. As long as you. And I, so I think this is absolutely fine. We can like take a little bit of Scientology. We can take a little bit of, you know. Yeah. I mean, did you watch the Nexium documentaries? Have you watched anything about Nexium? Are you? Across- oh, I'm obsessed. Okay. Obsessed. I even listened to like a million podcasts about it. Yeah, and I, I of course preferred the one that was from the point of view of the, the girl. I feel like she really was the one that her documentaries series. Um, oh, I forget her name. Uh, India. Yeah, India. India. Do no. What's her last? She was a famous woman's daughter. Yeah. And by the way, I've been, I met her when she was a kid and I went to their house in Malibu at one of my first day jobs. They, her husband, India's mother, whatever her, Catherine Oxenberg, Catherine Oxenberg's husband was like this soap opera actor. And there was a reality show on Lifetime Television here in America called I Married a Princess. And one of my first day jobs as a young comedian who wasn't working as a comedian yet in the early 2000s, I worked at Lifetime TV in the web department, and this is way at the beginning of people watching videos on the web, and I would drive to Malibu, which is very far from where I lived, and I would film little vignettes with Catherine Oxenberg's husband, forget his name, uh, for this show, I Married a Princess. And Catherine was there and said, oh, this is my little daughter, India. And I, you know, didn't know that someday I'd be watching a documentary about how she got herself into a sex cult. So it's just weird looking back that... um I, I don't know. Maybe I could have stopped it if I said the right thing to this little kid. Like, watch out for sex cults. I know your mom's not paying any attention to you right now. <laughs> I think the problem is that um, they don't lead with the fact that they're going to be a sex cult. Like, this was... So, this... Yeah, so that... That's I think true, yeah. The documentary from her point of view 
is, yes, much more to the point. There is some appeal to the vow for me, which is because it was made by people who were seduced by it, I think yeah. they've made it in a way that tries to give you an idea of how you could be seduced by something like that. Now, some of that, yeah. I believe, is probably self-justification. You know, like Oh, how that's did, right, it is. How did I get involved in this? I'm going to point out to you. But I think also in a way, like when we hear how could you ever get involved in some sort of sex cult where they, you know, ask you to tattoo your, you know, lady parts with the the leader's initials you go yeah i would never fall for something like that but when you watched the vow they at least gave you this idea of this was the first step and this was the second step and this is like you you're not kind of signing up to the next bit before you believe that and you could see at least a little bit of like going oh yeah i get this like they don't yeah. on day one go all right we're getting out the branding machine get the gear <laughs> off. like it is a real yeah, and, process and, and, to get you to that point and you're sleep deprived and you're malnourished and yeah. you're, I mean, at that point, you just, I don't even know if your brain can make normal choices. And so I, I did, but I think you're right. The reason I didn't love that one is because once they got to what it actually was, they didn't actually even tell us the whole dirt. And then it just sort of ended. And maybe that's season two, but there's something about that guy, Mark, where I'm like, he's going to join another cult. Like, <laughs> He still hasn't learned how to not spot a cult leader, I don't think. I don't get the sense that he's learned his lesson. And it did seem just like self-justifying. And I also was like, I don't know. I just, I didn't, I, he was annoying, but I loved to hate him. It was so exciting to watch and just take out all my anger at being in a lockdown and Trump is president. Like just, just to hate Mark Vicente for one night a week was one of the greatest highlights of my lockdown. Uh, the thing that I'm like, and for people who don't, have not watched these, I, yeah. I highly recommend them. I got, I was like you, I got obsessed. I watched both of the documentaries and I listened to a whole bunch of podcasts. So, um, oh, great, great. The, so Bonnie, his wife, who yeah. left, who left much earlier than Mark left, because Mark yeah. was clearly a filmmaker. Like he made like a pseudoscience film in the first place, and then he was looking for a cult to join. And clearly, with the amount of footage that he took over the years, he was always looking at I'm going to be the documentarian of this great guy and then when it turned out he wasn't a great guy he's like I'm going to be the documentarian of how this guy wasn't a great guy but clearly yeah. he has no editorial judgment himself he can't see like when he's been taken for a fool at all to the point that his partner his wife leaves this cult and says it's a cult and he sticks around the fact that their marriage survived that is one of the most amazing things that I've ever seen in my life. Because well, she's, well, yeah. she's like, this is a cult. This is absolutely you know, damaging to everybody. I'm leaving. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to stick around, run yeah, some stuff. I need some more guru. facts. I don't know yet. I'm not convinced. Well, you know, I'm like, that's some true love on her part. Mm. Um, To really see someone you love like being manipulated by a guru but i'm wondering what i lose respect for them and once you lose respect for someone the relationship's over so i i i'm like do i give her credit or do i go god i wish she left i don't know i don't know what's right i guess it's not my business ultimately but no. i don't know what, what there's but, the right thing but, to do but would it's be. fun to make judgments about people you don't know and their personal circumstances i mean what else is there to do I mean, the thing about Keith Raniere, who's the, um, you know, the, he's hopefully, hopefully in jail, definitely for the rest of his life. But, you know. Oh, no, he is. He got a life yeah. sentence, triple. And, 
yeah, triple life sentences, then hopefully he'll. It would just mean that he never gets out of prison because he just absolutely does not yeah. deserve to ever get out of prison. Uh, Alison Mack, I believe, just got three years. Uh, yeah, know, sentenced to three years uh, for her role in it because a lot of people, you know, might be familiar with her role in it. So Alison Mack was like a, you know, kind of. Hollywood celebrity-ish. She was in like a popular TV show, Smallville, which was about Superman. But it was like not the hugest show on television or anything. But no. she was like in that sort of teen star world, right? Yeah. Popular within that subgenre of entertainment. Yeah. And clearly her celebrity was part of the appeal of other people joining up. That were just like, well, if she's involved, oh, yeah. then I can be involved. And clearly she had a whole bunch of, you know, power issues of her own and she is I think at once both a victim and somebody who was an abuser in this scenario which makes it incredibly complicated right well that's what I was thinking too because I was like you know she is a victim she can't just claim she was brainwashed and get away with it um she was an abuser I mean that's what I'm saying she was an abuser she can't just claim she was brainwashed and get away with it but she was a victim and it's interesting just to parallel it with the people that attacked the Capitol in America they claim you know they're using a lot of them are using the insanity defense or I was brainwashed but they weren't victims of anything at the same time so I don't believe there should be any sympathy for them but I I did feel sympathy for her I mean you know she was was abused yeah she was abused and like hurt people hurt people and she definitely managed to pass that abuse on to other people and probably needs to pay for that but yes I think that they also needed to show her some sort of empathy and sympathy but he this guy, Keith Ranieri, is like one of the – like, I mean, there is – like, there's nothing to admire about him because he's, like, clearly a horrible, terrible person who, you know, was incredibly destructive to so many people. But there's another part of me that just looks at him and goes – like, he's not charismatic. He's not attractive. Yay. Like, the fact that he managed to pull it off, there is part yeah. of me that's just like, well, I mean, congratulations – about that. I know you ruined a lot of people's lives and that's all terrible, but there is yeah. something in the fact that you managed to convince all these people that you were some sort of guru that is interesting. I guess maybe I was thinking about this the other day. I, weirdly, I don't know why, but I, I was like, maybe that was part of why it was easy to convince yourself that he was so amazing because he was so below average. I mean, literally like a very short little guy with tiny hands and like not a very good looking guy and there was this one scene where Mark was filming Keith Raniere playing piano because Keith said he was like this brilliant pianist. And he's playing this Mozart piece that's pretty, pretty remedial. I played it in my piano recital when I was nine and I'm no genius. It's a very easy Mozart sonata or sonatina, I think it's called. And he's just like, and they're like, oh my God. And I'm like, oh guys, like, He's playing with his right hand like it's not anyone could do this. And he's like, I'm, I'm pretty rusty. They're like, you're not. You're not. That's amazing. And I'm like, oh, my God, they're just full on seeing what they want to see. It was shocking. Yeah, because at that point, like the way that I, I absolutely agree with you, because that would have been the point where I was like, he claims that he's like this amazing piano player. He gets on the piano. He can barely play piano yeah. competently. And that would have been the moment I'm going, I reckon... I'm going to be asking some questions about everything he's saying because I don't feel like he is a really great no. piano player and then maybe everything else is wrong. But yeah. instead, they are all like, oh, my God, that's amazing. And I'm like, shit, wait until you guys see Tim Minchin. You're going to lose your mind. <laughs> or just some guy like at Disneyland playing like the 
the ragtime thing on the piano outside of um I don't even know whatever but I, I, I know not everyone like agree with you yeah. that it was, but also the fact that like the minute that somebody said, hey, if you want to go and talk to the guru, you're going to have to go and watch him play volleyball at three o'clock in the morning. I'd be like, eh, I'm looking for another cult. This doesn't seem like it's a cult for me. <laughs> First of all, don't make me play volleyball. It hurts my wrist so bad. Oh, my God. And at three in the morning, like, yeah, they just wake you up at crazy. Now, by the way, I have a good friend and it's his story to tell, so I won't get too deep into it, but... A dear, dear friend of mine, my friend Michael is an actor, and he, at the way beginning of 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 the Nexium cult, I mean, I don't know when it was, but this was about 10 years ago, when Allison Mack first got in, my friend Michael's manager at the time said to him, she had gone to the first level, where it's more just like a seminar about self-confidence or something. And he's like, you know, I'm not booking a lot of work. And his manager was like, oh, you should, you know, look into this seminar I'm doing. And he was like, eh, I don't really... If I don't have any money, I don't really know why paying $1,000 for something. No, I'm good. And she kept pushing it. And then she kind of backed off. And then he ended up being in Canada. He got a job and filmed something. And Alison Mack was there. And uh, he'd known her casually over the years. And uh, she said, hey, you know, I do this thing. And it's in upstate New York. And there's going to be an acapella competition. And we're going to have actors judge these acapella groups. And he was like, okay, well, I'm not an acapella singer. Just, oh, no, 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 you don't have to be. So anyway, he flew up to upstate New York. And once he said he just got there and was like, uh, this is a cult. <laughs> he saw Keith Raniere walking around in like white linen things. And he said Keith was so mean to men. He was just so dismissive of him. Just like, eh, yeah. And he was like, oh, my God. I, I, he actually was in the middle of it and was like, I don't actually understand how anyone didn't see this, you know, because he came in. Uh, not from a small seminar like he saw the craziness so during this acapella competition which is a completely made up thing they were trying to recruit actors but there was actually people singing acapella these poor townspeople were you know tricked into competing thinking they're going to win something and then these actors are there uh thinking they're judging something and helping out this something or other. And then they're realizing after 12 hours, this is a cult because they weren't letting them eat anything. And then Keith started getting jealous of the acapella singers and going, I'm actually the best uh, singer in the world. And then he, so there's tape of, they made my friend introduce Keith a certain way. Like ladies and gentlemen, the greatest singer of all time, Keith Raniere. And he's like, there's tape of me somewhere saying that. And so he, he left early, called his lawyer and was like, I think I just saw a cult. Someday there's, there, this cult is going to be found out about. I think it's really bad. And there's tape of me saying Keith Raniere is the greatest you know, singer of all time. Please find this tape and destroy it. You know, whatever. So, I mean, it's just it's the story is like way more than that. But it's just like he just saw it. You know, but again, it, he wasn't indoctrinated from the beginning, but he was dropped in to the cult had already gotten to everyone had moved to upstate New York. Keith was already living in a house with all these women. And so it was very clear to him. This guy's being worshipped like he's Jesus. And these women are going and he just saw that kissing every woman on the lips. Ugh, ugh. I mean, that alone, the fact that like his initial greeting for people was kissing them on the lips. There was just so many things that I would have considered red flags. 
Like, and it was such, it seemed to be in slow motion. I would have gone to that one party. He would have played some piano, kissed someone on the lips, and I'd be like, oh, hang on, I forgot I have an appointment. i got to be anywhere but <laughs> I right know now. for a fact, yeah, you're like, i got to get the AstraZeneca shot, um, even though yeah. I want to wait for the <laughs> Pfizer. No, I mean, I, I know everybody says, oh, I wouldn't have fallen for it, but I do think... I do think there's something to be said for if you've already gone through the part of your life where you're searching and you're in pain and you really are at a bottom of some kind where you're willing to get help in ways that you've never asked for before, whether it's maybe you try therapy the for, for the first time, maybe someone gives up a drinking, maybe, you know, whatever. If you've already had your dark night of the soul, uh, I think it would be quite easy to see it for what it was. Uh, you know? Oh, yeah, I agree with that. And But also they were offering, like, the thing that you said, which is really important, is your friend was, like, parachuted yeah. in, like, in the in the final scene. Whereas, like, if you're introduced, if you're, like, the yeah. boiling frog, you know, if you're introduced bit by bit. And at the start, there was clearly some positive benefits. If you're a person who's looking for some structure, he just has gone around to a whole bunch of like religions and doctrines and, you know, self-help groups and sort of picked the best bits out of each of them and combined them into some sort of program. Yeah. Like if you take, you know, bits of successful things and put them together at the start, if people implement those successful things, they might go, oh, my life is getting a little bit better. I am doing these programs. I'm following these habits. I'm you know, taking these pieces of advice. And so then it's easy enough to get you interested in the next yeah. level and the next level. And then eventually you're at a party and you're just like, this guy's a <laughs> piano player. <laughs> I wish I could have his initials. Well, you know, I mean, and of course, since I'm like, as we talked about earlier, like I know I shouldn't give this example because we already understand what we're saying. But the comedian in me is like, say it, say it. And I'm like, it is, though, as though my friend was parachuted into the concentration camps at Auschwitz and not at the yeah. first Hitler rally with everyone else when he's getting them ginned up and, and even further along where no one knows there's these secret camps. You know, like, it's easy to go, well, this is fucked up if you're parachuted into a death camp. But, you know, it's it's harder to see right. when you're coming up. Um, they, don't, they don't bring death camps up at the first meeting. No, no, no. And that's the thing that we always, when we see the headlines, when we see it reported as a sex cult, yeah. you always think, I mean, I, I don't know if you listened to the podcast, uh, Sarah, who was one of the... I did. She was one of the main whistleblowers but she was also one of the people who was most into it at the start. Yeah, and, and she has a book a too, which I haven't read. Yeah. Yeah. Has an incredibly complicated story, but she um, had a friend who was a journalist, uh, you know, so they ended up like he ended up, you know, making this podcast series about her getting out of Nexium. It's a really interesting look because she is, um, you know, really conflicted because she was quite quite at the heart of it she signed up to the whole thing you know very successful with the organization but also was one of the people who then went out of it and has become a big whistleblower around it and yeah there is that sense of from her story of that real thing of going you know they didn't bring this up on day one yeah you just buy in to each level and all the ridiculous pageantry you do see how it makes sense like i mean they had these bad scarves and smocks and oh, you know right. color gradient like all this thing and, but <clears throat> suddenly you're just like everybody wants this 
like bad scarf because they've been told that the scarf has some importance to it. And then you're suddenly seeing people going, I'm willing to spend like thousands of dollars and do all these courses and graduate through this system so I can get that that scarf that doesn't even fit properly. I mean, is it any different than like, I mean, it's very different, but I can, I'm sure they're like, it's like a black belt in karate, you know? It's it's, And, you know, I think about comedy and I think about the years where I got terrible advice from comedy bookers and club owners and these fucking horrible people. And I'm young, I'm naive, I want to be you know successful and i i am searching my eyes are wide and i take everyone as an expert on everything and and i don't even stop to think that anyone out there is um bad at their jobs at the very least you know i'm not even talking about like shady people that are crooked or so you know sex offenders but just like someone that just you know i'm doing my thing i get on stage i feel pretty good about the way i perform i tell my stories and then i move to new york and someone goes no 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 no. you're doing it all wrong we do short (laughs) jokes here in new york and i go oh okay like just throw my entire persona out the window because i am told this is how we do things this is the new style that's how you get on late night and i just yep sure You know, and now I go, I would never do that. Well, I wasn't, well, I was different 25 years ago. I was, I didn't know I was even allowed to have an opinion of my own. And I was looking for answers and I wanted to do the right thing so I could get what I wanted. So I I do, I have been there where I've listened to people tell me things that you get that feeling. You actually do get an alarm that goes, I don't know about this, but you're so young and you don't have a lot of examples of times you've went with your gut. You really just don't yet, you know? And so you go, "Uh, I think I'm just doubting myself. I must be, I must be, no, I gotta, you know, and I go against my gut. And then you learn how to do that and you keep doing that. And then you have to relearn to listen to your gut and trust it. So, I mean, I've definitely been there. Certainly hasn't ended up like a being in a sex cult, but, you know, I, I mean. Uh, well, and yeah. it's that level of I've understanding been of how it works that I think that we can take into coop. Yeah. I feel like we... <laughs> We, un- oh my God. we understand. <laughs> I have legit works. forgotten about. Oh, you just, your timing, man. I literally almost did a spit take. I mean, the way you just, I didn't, oh my God, that was beautiful. That was beautiful comedy. Oh my God. <laughs> yes, we take it into Coop. Oh my God. It's so, oh, I know how we start Coop. Go on. It begins as comedy classes. Oh, yes, perfect. Perfect. And now, you say, now I know you yoga teachers yes. and you, um, you know, nut salesmen and avocado makers. I know you don't want to be comedians, but comedians, we read the room. You know, we know in an instant what 300 people are thinking and feeling because a group mind happens by the time we have settled our glass on the stool on stage and we pick up on it we are inherently intuitive so we're going to teach you that intuition that you need with your customer and we're going to teach you little sense of humor tricks you know it's not about becoming a comedian but we start with comedy classes and then we get them in that way is one of the unspoken things about stand-up comedy i think and it's not necessarily the case across it but there is definitely an intersection between the two which is uh, cold reading 
you know, so you know when you see mentalists or you know people in that area, and basically what they're doing is just yeah. reading. You know, they get a sense of you know, what yeah. person's story were. The more you do it, the more you have an understanding. You can make pretty, you know, accurate guesses. The amount of times in like when I'm doing like a crowd work show, when I'm talking to the crowd, where like if you if I was not pitching it as comedy, yes. I was pitching it as like I was some sort of John Edwards style character. You would I would be getting it right enough times. Totally. That you would be totally convinced by me. So you just essentially we're taking our crowd work skills <laughs> and we're monetizing them into totally. sort of a cold reading course. Well, you know what's funny? I was thinking about this the other day. Sorry, I'm getting up. I'm I'm yes. I'm I'm really refilling my cocktail, but I was thinking about this the other day is I'm sure you got these press requests as well at the beginning of the pandemic where it was like um, people, there was so many articles being written after week three of COVID in, in March and April of last year, where it was like, what's comedy like on zoom? Is it different than live on stage? And I'm like, yeah, everyone can tell that it is. Um, it's not an interesting story. I was going to say, I'm not sure that you need a comedian to give you insight into that. You let everybody in the audience give their best guess at what the answer is, and I reckon it will probably be true. The, yes, it, it is different. But I said the real story is why do we know for a fact that the Thursday night show that only has 100 people at 8 o'clock is better than the Friday night sold-out show at 7.30 p.m.? The audience oh. is more into you. They're better. And why do we then know that the Friday early show will still be better than the late show Friday? Like, that's the story is how me and my fans in one room, I haven't changed my outfit even, how it can be so different within 24 hours or sometimes even three hours. What changes and why did I already know that was going to happen? Like, there is a people don't even know. Everyone knows their horoscope sign. But no one knows, no one really understands who they are until they know in their heart, am I a Thursday night show audience member? Do I like to go Friday early, Friday late? That's who, that's, like, we already know. And, and I think that's fascinating. And nobody The psychology of crowds and why they book specific nights is probably an interesting thing too. Because I always say that my least favorite shows are Friday night early shows would be my least favorite because... I feel oh, like yeah. people bring – they haven't finished their week. Like if it's the early show, like you're yep. still part of – like maybe they've gone to drinks before the show. They might have a dinner after the show, like or that sort of thing. You're just part of their, their night, the end of their week. They're still – They might still be right. in their work Chances clothes. Chances are they you are, know? right? They've gone yeah. from work to drinks and now they're at the show. Like they're still – And they're in a bad mood and they may not have eaten enough – so they're hungry and a little bit buzzed and angry and they're tired and they don't want to laugh. They just want to be somewhere before they go home. They want You're like the buffer. And then if they haven't eaten, they might even be eating at your show. Can't laugh when you're eating. Uh, yeah, it's a nightmare. Yeah, you're right. It's still right. part of their week is the, is the psychological greatness of that point. Yeah, Thursday night, they've come out specifically. You are the thing they're doing on a Thursday night. It's rare that they're just going, all right, we're going to like go for drinks Thursday night after work, roll into the comedy show, and then we're out all night. Like that's, I mean, I'm sure there are some people who are going to do that, but <laughs> but in a general sense. Yeah. But they have started their weekend with you and they are going to be a little bit tired at work tomorrow for you. And it was all <laughs> worth it. Like they, 
they love you so much they need to be the first to see right. you when you yeah, hit that, town. I think that's part of it as well. Like you are the event. You're not just sandwiched between whatever the event is. Yes. And then Saturday, it's like you didn't earn any of your laughs and you fucking know it. You know it. You know, <laughs> the early show, they'll laugh at anything. If you read the menu, they're laughing. They want to laugh. It's Saturday night. They're in a good mood. And uh, and you can, you know, be like, I killed, I sold out. Yeah, that's why they don't give you bonuses at clubs if you sell out the early show Saturday, because everyone does. Um, <laughs> and that's why uh, if you got laughs, that's great. Feels good, but you didn't earn it. The late show Saturday, if you got laughs, you earned those. You earned those. But, you know, to me, that's the story. But is a computer different than the live stage? Like, can't we didn't get... But you, you can't, yeah. you, but you're right. We're, Have you ever been on a computer or talked to a person? Yeah. It's the same as that. It's very different. It's this, and, and, but I, we, we are these little, um, we're little, uh, I don't know what the word is, like feelers. Like we, we know, we know, we know what's going on in that room. I think that's why I think. A lot of people that that may have come from a dysfunctional home, the type of home where you kind of have to go, oh, shit, like, is everyone, you know, I, I didn't have this kind of home where it was like, daddy's drunk, but like, I definitely had like a chaotic, loud home. And it was like, okay, got to make sure I know the exact right time to break the tension with a joke or the exact right time to get the fuck out. But I could sense everyone's moods. So it's like, we're all a bunch of little codependents, you know, and I don't think the mythology of stand-ups are sad clowns that made their family laugh oh no 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 it's way deeper than that we sense the mood and we know when to hide and we know when to strike and that makes a comedian who's comfortable on stage it's like so much more interesting than the sad clown trope i think i think also it's why we're so at our worst so incredibly sensitive to somebody not enjoying it like oh yeah the entire room can be enjoying it but that like one person who's not enjoying it you're like a sense, a, a normal, like a well-adjusted person would just be like, well, there's like 150 people in this room and 149 of them are having a really good time. And that person might not even be having a bad time. Maybe they're just not very good at expressing themselves publicly. They don't feel comfortable with their laugh. They have had a bad day. They've been brought along by somebody. They're not a big fan. Yeah. That doesn't matter. That's I've been to things where I'm not a big fan. I've been to things that I've loved that I've just enjoyed silently. It, it is absolutely fine. They might be tired or whatever. Yeah. That's what a normal person would think. Yeah, yeah. Whereas like... <laughs> There is a part of, you know, that sensitivity to a comedian where you're just like, well, I'm sorry, 149 people who are enjoying this. I'm now no longer thinking about you at all. I'm only thinking about this person it's and what's It's all about on. this guy. That's, and by the way, you know what it is? Our worst fear is that this person that's not enjoying us is right. Oh, they're right. Yeah. The 149 people? The 149 to catch on. These idiots. Why are, what are they laughing at? I'm clearly awful. And there's one person gets it. It's like, it's like, for me, it's like an ex-boyfriend that said like some horrific thing to me that just cut to the soul of like what my biggest fear is. Like you're a blankety blank or whatever, you know? And then it's like. Yeah, and then you're like, ah, shit. They noticed. Yeah, they're, they're, <laughs> I always thought everyone was going to notice. Yeah, but it, they noticed and now everyone's going to notice. You think back to like other exes where it's like, well, they never said that to me. Well, they didn't know you. Yeah. Well, I went out with them longer. <laughs> nope. This one person that just happened to be a jerk. They got it right. They they know me. I am that. You know, it's like that one person. It's really, again, like it's not as simple as we'd like to make everyone laugh. Like we, it's like that one comment. Again, it's it's. You know, not that I would ever read YouTube comments, but 
You get a thousand YouTube comments. That's funny. And one person's like, even if they don't even write anything cohesive, they just write, fuck, sucks, farts. You're like, oh, God, that's true. You know, it's just (laughs) we are walking wounds of sensitive people. (laughs) <laughs> I know what you mean. Like, so I've been really trying and I'm like really, really trying to just not engage in the internet much at all because I, I just see, I, I go online and I just see all, everybody is just at this heightened level at the moment, regardless of what your perspective is on things. Everybody just feels like they're coming in at a nine and they're only winding it up from there and it doesn't matter if <laughs> it's comments to put it. arguments mm-hmm. like you know what i mean they get to the party fully loaded and they're looking for a fight like you know <laughs> they log you know, on drunk online. and it's like yeah the beginning of the party it's just yeah. like, what, what did you say yeah <laughs> like literally the first thing they say at the party is like what did you say mate? I, I said welcome to the party sir are you yeah. you op- what did you mean by that well i mean i mean you you know you are you just saying welcome to me because I'm a white man? When, what about welcome to everybody? How about that? Well, you know, you rang the bell and I had invited you last week and I just opened the door and said, hey, thanks for coming. Well, if you don't want people ringing the bell, then don't put a bell on your door. <laughs> I mean, if you put a bell on the outside of your house, you're just inviting people to come along and ring your bell. Well, okay. Oh, do you want a drink? And now you're getting angry at me because I rang your bell. No, I'm not angry. I just do want a drink. I just don't want to talk about this anymore. Do you want a drink? I got drinks. I got beer. I got wine. I got... Okay. So now you're silencing me. You're silencing <laughs> me. I, like. <laughs> Cancel. Now you're silencing you're me. I can't say anything at this party. But you're right. No. Everyone is coming in hot with their, you know, I mean, we're all traumatized from last year, even if we're getting mm. back to life. I mean, it's true. You know, there was a lot of things that happened to me last year, or not happened to me, but that I was whatever, you know, feeling, uh, whether it was about a career thing or a friendship or whatever. I don't know. But I didn't have any time to process and feel it because I was living alone during a pandemic. And I do notice I'm a little on edge lately, even though currently my life is fantastic. It's the old feelings from last year that didn't feel safe coming up because they didn't want to hurt me when I was alone on the couch and already so isolated. So now they're like, oh, she's out and about again. She's got friends. She's happy. We got to let her know we're still here. And then yeah. that the internet's a dangerous place for me to be when that happens because I will go off. I am going off sometimes and it's not good because I meet other people that are going off and then everyone's going off and, and I'm actually the one that could lose a job because of it. You know, if you think about it. I think that, but I just think in general everyone's there. Like, and it it feels like that in there's no it doesn't matter if people fully agree with you or fully disagree with you yeah it just feels also one or the other at the moment yeah it really is i mean as much as we were joking about uh, you know i I say joking wink yeah oh uh, i catch you yeah yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) wink with Um, a q thank you oh yeah good well done uh Joke with a Q. Uh, Stop. This is amazing. Do you know who our leader is? You know that comedian Mike Kaplan. He spells his name with a Q. M-Y-K. M-Y-Q. Somehow. Always. Somehow it goes back. We just blame him for everything. I mean, this would be great, actually, for people who don't know Mike. He's a really uh, fabulous comedian, but he's also like, his stuff is quite quirky and yeah. like intricate and lots of wordplay and stuff. It would be the perfect person to spread a rumor that there's hidden messages inside his stuff. Totally. Because he'll tweet about quite deep things. He writes these quite yeah, quirky, well-written like lines and jokes. If you were going to like really ad- adopt a comedian and go through their stuff yeah. and look for hidden messages, I think Mike Kaplan. So let's get Mike involved. We'll, we'll give him a call. And it's funny because... The one thing every comedian busts on him for is the yeah. spelling of his name. It just seems like 
come on, dude. Or what are you, 15? You didn't go through this identity crisis already? No, I don't know if his parents named him with that spelling, but either way, he should change it, even if they didn't. Like, that's what we all joke with him about, and he's a lovely person. I'm, I'm saying this, I'd say to his face. So, but we can start that rumor, like yeah. MYQ. Oh, he was I, always, I, you know, yeah. Or we don't get him involved, and when we go down for this, we blame it on so him. all our papers. All and our, and hey, he has no defense like, at that point. We've got this entire shell company that we've set up under his name and his identity. That's exactly what we do because we're going to take the fall for this venture. Anyway, so you're trying not to go online because everyone's a little hot at the moment. So what, so, so how do you, how does that affect your life? Absolutely in no way. So I'm like, now I'm, That's now great. I'm just like, I'll go on to yeah, plug my podcast or whatever, you know, do the business yeah. of social media. And I'll certainly still like look on there for, you know, news, like for news and all these sort of things. But the actual yeah. engagement level because you know i think we all got sucked in to this idea that we have to engage like and th- this is the thing that i hate the most about the era of yep. comedy that we have grown up in because like 20 years ago it was cool to be mysterious like that was actually part yes! of your like you know you wouldn't know anybody anything about somebody and like that they would go away for yeah. 3 years and then they would come back with a project and you'd be like oh this is exciting i haven't heard from this person in 3 years and now i'm really excited to see what they have to say but now we live in this world where it feels that that is impossible the idea that you could just yeah. like cuz there's been a couple of times not through any particular reason other than me thinking it might be a healthy thing to do that i've considered what if I just completely got off social media? Like, because I don't think that I right. would miss it that much. And I think the benefits would outweigh the negatives. If I just... Yep, I like, agree. Same. I've been yep. reading more books. I've been trying to, like, you know, do more things that are outside the internet. I think I could, you know, yeah. clear up some real time in my day if I just decided I'd get off social media completely. But now yeah. the infrastructure is so hooked in that, like, your other projects are like, well, we want you to be able to plug your... You show on the internet. Yeah, I gave you I gave you this book right. deal because of your million Twitter followers. And then you you know the secret fear too is getting off social media and finding out how unimportant you might be. You know, like if if you're not the type of person that can just uh be famous without being online as well, that would be devastating to find out. I don't mean you specifically, but just to anyone. It's like a big risk. You you hope you'd get off social media and everyone would still see all the shows and blah, blah, blah. But it's just like, what if? And we're all like brainwashed that way. What if we can't, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I, I feel the same way. I'm like, well, any future project I have, people seem still impressed with Twitter followers and whatever. And it's like, but but what I know, I know the secret of this whole thing is that my Twitter followers, I would say 50% of them do not even know what I do for a living. They saw a political tweet, they saw whatever. And even the people who love what I do for a living are not uh, downloading my podcast or joining my Patreon or buying an album. I don't make any money by being on Twitter. And I can't believe us, our cynical Gen X people, we were so much smarter than this years ago before the internet, that we got sold this bill of goods that if we interact with our fans they will remember that and sort of pay it back to us when we are trying to sell them something and you know what i i don't have the exact data but i don't think it's really worked out to be that way the people who buy my stuff i never see them 
Yeah. Every, everyone in my audience, they're not on Twitter. Right. And if the stuff's good, that's all that you owe the audience. Like, I didn't that's get it. into it for you to think I'm a nice person, like, off the yeah. stuff. Like, I want the stuff to have some value. I want you to, like, listen to the podcast because you like the podcast. I want you to come to the show because you like the show. I want you to, you know, watch the yeah. show because you like watching the show. But the idea that somehow you'll, you'll watch the show because I replied to your message on Twitter is, that's not the deal. Yeah, that's not the deal. It's so transactional. And can you imagine, though, if you're a kid and, you know, let's say as a kid you liked Stephen Wright mm-hmm. and your phone rang every maybe hour and a half and it's just him going, uh, Palestine, Israel's pretty complicated, just hangs up, you know. And if he does a thread, the phone keeps ringing. But I mean, you know, I just don't want to pick a side, but it's because I don't really do political comedy. Hang- okay, thanks, Stephen hangs up, calls back. I just had a sandwich. Uh, I know, first world problem. Hashtag. You're like, stop calling. I just, I don't... It would be absurd to hear from people you loved that much. Absurd. So that's kind of how I have to think about it is pretend the phone is ringing in everyone's house, Jen. Would you call your fans to say this? You don't really need to say it. A little joke here and there. So now I'm just trying to use it only to promote. And I want to promote so much that people get so sick of me promoting that they actually just buy my stuff. Because this notion that I'm supposed to use Twitter for any other reason Uh, It just, I got to get myself off of that. Unless I really want to tweet it for my friends that follow me, you know, like, then that's fun to hang out with your friends. that's kind of where I I am now, which is like, I just promote my stuff. Like, here's some stuff that's out if you want to go and check it out or promote other people. Like, if there's someone who's, you know, like, that I would like to promote, I still use it for that. But other than that, I am, I could almost, I mean... I don't need to shut it down. I think I've just shut it down in terms of what I think it is for. But obviously we should keep yeah. it because when we switch to Cube and we need those, obviously those figures to get the messages. Oh, yeah, yeah. Between you and me, yeah. our followers. Yeah. yeah. And by the way, I do think, you know, in life in general, anytime we go so black and white where we think the answer is cancel all my accounts, it's like, you know, you're not going to feel any more of a big relief than if you just do what you you're doing which is just don't use it you don't have to get rid of it like no one's gonna quote it, it's like we we it's like um you want to you know break up with someone uh but it's not a big relationship so you could really just never text them back you know you went on a couple of dates so what you're suggesting just is let that it go. I just ghost social media you ghost yeah, yeah. and you don't <laughs> like call not- and go excuse me yeah. i'm uh i know you're ghosting me first but i'm over it like the person's like okay weirdo you know you just just go away. And then you didn't do anything wrong. You didn't make a hard declaration. So if you come back, nobody goes, oh, look, they're back. Because that people love to make fun of you when you leave and come back. Oh, yeah. No, anyone who so, like announces that they're like Chrissy social Teigen, media, yeah. like you need to. I said, like, there's no, you can just leave. There's absolutely. It's literally, yeah. Just, it's like do, being a toddler. I'm leaving. And then you leave and your parents are like, okay. And they, they challenge you that way. And you're like, I'm back. Yeah. No, I'm coming back home. <laughs> but it's, it's. Because we, we do these big gestures it, that live in the black and white area because we think we'll feel a final sense of closure or th- putting my flag in there. This is who I am. And it's just not how being a human works. It's just better to keep it in the gray area. Don't believe every feeling you fucking have about how you're feeling today about social media it could change tomorrow. You know, I don't mean you, but I'm just saying I just yeah. have to say this to okay. myself like. No big declarations, please. Like, enough with that. It's just too embarrassing. It's just too embarrassing. 
It's like saying I love you to someone when you're drunk. Like, you don't mean it. So just <laughs> shut up. Shut up. Uh, Jen Kirkman has a podcast um, that you should yes. listen to. And she has a Patreon page that you should support. Tell people about, you know, what you're doing and what they should be doing. Sure, yes. My podcast is called No Fun, the Jen Kirkman podcast. It is me talking to you one-on-one, just me talking to you an hour a week about what's going on in my life, in my head, sometimes the world. As I say, it's sometimes serious, sometimes funny, but always real. Uh, It's me talking off the top of my head. I know what I'm going to talk about, but it is unscripted. And uh, so that's free, comes out every Wednesday. Subscribe wherever you get podcasts. And there's a Patreon version. And what I like about the Patreon version is I get paid for it, but... The video version has a is longer, so there's it's a little more juicy. You know what I mean? Like I talk a little more shit if I'm, you know, I don't even know what I mean by that, but it's just a little more private. So for five bucks a month, people get four 90 minute videos a month. They get bonus episodes. They get unreleased stand up that I've done on the road. It's it's fun, and uh, it's my job right now, so I'm not on the road, and. Uh, I'm not doing another special. So it's like, this is kind of the, this is actually, I've fallen in love with it again. The, the podcasting it's, it's the way I like to express myself. So it's not like a, what's that thing? Like a plan B or a second choice. You know, it's like, actually I want to do this. So that's what I'm doing. Uh, and, and that's the best way to find me. And I'm, I'll, I'll get back on the road in 2022 probably. But for now, this is like what I love doing and where people can find me. So that's it. Well, thank you for doing this today. It's always an absolute pleasure to catch up with you and you're the best. Oh, a joy. Thank you. Uh, we'll talk on Cube. 